What's up, guys? Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and joined by my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? I'm doing well. We've got a great show. We're having a guest on this show to talk three-man and six-man best ball leagues. Uh, before we get into that, though, we'll recap the 1K best ball that we started. I forgot exactly where we left off with last week's podcast. I think we had gotten through the Mark Andrews pick and our decision there to start with Saquon at three, which we were happy about. And then at the two, three turn where we were a little unsure, we ended up going DeAndre Hopkins and Mark Andrews. Uh, Since then, we've made uh, several more picks. Yeah, so most of this episode will be focused on three-man and six-man best ball strategy. We've got a guest uh, that we really dive deep in to those formats on so that's say it's it's peter jennings yeah it'll be in the show coy about it yeah i mean i kind of followed your lead there but you're right we don't need to be (laughs) so we uh we'll have uh peter jennings on in just a few minutes here to talk to us about that and he like he just has so much awesome knowledge to share on that and what's cool about talking to him about three and six man stuff is that there's things that like we obviously figured that would come up. Like how do you handle quarterbacks? How do you handle tight ends? We get into all of that, but there's lots of stuff that he's thought about that we never would have thought about if we hadn't talked to him. So it's a really fun discussion. I think you guys will really like it, but yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about our um, best ball draft here. The one K best ball we're doing on DraftKings. Yeah. So we, we did Mark Andrews and then we, uh, I guess recap up through because we're currently on the clock so uh, i'll throw it back to you mike to recap us through where we're sitting right now the end of round four and this has happened to me twice and i've been sort of burned on it twice but uh end of round four we had a choice between metcalf and terry mclaurin and we went metcalf hoping maybe we could get Lockett coming back and set ourselves up for a Russ double stack and hope they let Russ cook. But Lockett went after we took Metcalf before it came back to us and McLaurin went. So that was a little bit of a bummer, but we still got Cortland Sutton who we're high on. Uh, so, you know, still felt good going receiver, receiver that turn. There was nothing at running back. You know, we are by doing that. We basically said, we're probably going to do the anchor running back strategy where we have Saquon, and then we're going to assume he's 90% of our weeks and we're just going to have to fill that second running back spot with a few guys late. Highly doubtful one of the high-end running backs last to the 7-8 turn. And that was, you know, that was the, uh, or to the, I'm sorry, to the 6-7 turn. And that was the case. You know, those running backs, the one running back that fell to us was J.K. Dobbins, and it was somewhat tough passing on him, but we took DeAndre Hopkins in the second round, and Kyler Murray was sitting there for us, and Bert, and Christian Kirk was out there, and that's where we ended up going, Kyler Murray, Christian Kirk, and getting this really elite double stack, and then 8-9 comes around, and you know, again, Zach Moss may be in contention, but very clear the running backs here aren't good, and doing enough of these DraftKings best balls, you know, the receivers are going to start to go. So we felt really good going Jalen Rager and CD lamb here, getting a ton of upside. uh, And we end up with this modified zero RB build, which again, I think fits a little bit better for DraftKings and underdog given the full PPR scoring and just the way that the market seems to draft there. So now we are on the clock at the 10 11 turn. 
Yeah, and I don't mind. I think we've we've made some reaches through this range. Um, Kirk at seven hundred one, I think you'd say is is a pretty big reach. Um, you could argue that both Rager and Lamb were a bit of reaches at eight twelve nine hundred one, but I think in all three cases, we're you know we're at the turn. So you got to think: Is Kirk going to be there at the eight twelve? If he's the guy you want, then. You should take him if he's not going to be there at the 812. You can't really – I think it's a mistake to let ADP drive your decisions. Like, who cares if his, you know, if he typically goes in the early 8th and you're taking him in the early 7th. If he never comes back to 812 or very unlikely to, then you get your guy. So we kind of made three of those picks because I think you could say Rager, you know, he sometimes – he could maybe even fall to the mid-10th, but he's probably not getting the 10-12. Um, same for Lamb. And those are guys that we're just really psyched about. I, I loved when you were you were messaging me like saying, let's let's get Rager Lamb here. And then we I think structurally it might have been a better move to go Rager Moss, except um Moss goes on that turn. So you go Rager, then Moss got taken. And sometimes I kind of like when that happens when I you, know <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well. We don't have a choice. We can take the guy we were more excited to take anyway. And I mean, with it being three wide receiver and a flex and full PPR, we're starting to see since then, you know, Brashad Perriman goes, McCall Hardman goes, uh, Emmanuel Sanders goes, Ruggs goes, Watkins goes, Deshaun Jackson goes. So guys that we clearly like less are going as people have to fill out wide receiver. And it's also easier to bank on the longer term upside of, the season with a Rieger and Lamb when those guys are literally you know drafted to our bench because we went so wide receiver heavy early. So, but here at the 10-11 turn, we do need running back, and uh, this is where it's tough. I've heard differing opinions on Carryon Johnson, but I'm at the point when he's falling to 10-11 in these builds where you actually need usable weeks out of the gate. That you know, even a week ago I thought he was fine here. But now we're at a point where DeAndre Swift is mispracticed for an entire week. So by ADP, he's the best running back available. I don't think he comes back to us. He gives us usable weeks early. We have a ton of stashes in mind that seem to fall a lot more on DraftKings than they do on underdogs. So I like him here as our floor play and then maybe getting the high upside home run hitter coming back who I guess just in case this gets released before. I, I may release this tomorrow just just for this the point yeah. so we can actually talk about this. So well Tony Pollard is the guy that yeah. we we like more than Carry on Johnson, but we think he comes back. And I also think there's guys of Pollard's archetype where we can get more guys like that and there's less floor guys like Carry on you know available to help us out unless you consider you know like a Duke Johnson type there. I don't know. This pushes me to carry on personally is that we look, we're looking to see uh, the two teams that might take a running back. You know, one of them has Ezekiel Elliott. And I don't think that we would see uh, someone select Elliott and then handcuff him with a fairly premium pick in Pollard. It is awesome, though, by the way. So if it happens, uh, you know, we can call him out, I guess. But I don't <laughs> think he'll do that. And so it would really come down to the person at the one hole. And you said they already they look pretty comfortable at running back? So there's two takes on it. One, they have Christian McCaffrey, James White, Antonio Gibson, 
and Zach Moss. You know, so four running backs. They have no receivers on the bench yet. They don't have a quarterback yet. You know, quarterbacks have been starting to fly. It makes me feel good they're not looking at running back, but because they went Gibbs and Moss the last turn, they're also identifying the type of running backs that we're identifying. Yeah, that's a good point. But if they doubled up running back last turn, then they may be looking at different position here. But I agree with you. That's probably a drafter who's more likely to take Pollard than Carrion Johnson. So, but that we have one guy who's definitely more likely to take Carrion than to handcuff Zeke with Pollard. So I still think that if you're just sort of betting which guy makes it past these two particular owners, that Pollard's more likely to make it back. I also think that if DeAndre Swift is not healthy to start the year, then carry-on could be a really, really nice pick here, given our team construction where we just have Saquon so far. Um, Carrion's not someone I've been like drafting all that heavily, but uh, Swift has been out, I think, for like nine consecutive practices or something. Um, I sent you a, a link, and now I'm forgetting exactly what what the story said. But I, he missed to practice again today, being Friday, the uh, the 28th, and it's it's kept him out for more than a week. Um, so I think it's like a hamstring, or it's not something all that serious. But this is a rookie who needs to displace the nominal starter. I mean, I think the Lions do intend for these guys to be in a committee, but that committee could really lean towards Johnson to start the year. And that's something that would really help this team out. Yeah. Especially the guys that we're going, we know we're going to want to take later are going to be guys with longer term upside and not necessarily weekly floor. But the thing with best ball where it's very different from a managed league is for us to make it out of weeks 13, you know, week one counts the same as week 13 for us to get us out of here. So if you bleed running back points for too many weeks, it can really catch up to you. And there are guys, you know, Alexander Madison's an elite handcuff, not, you know, not quite where we like Pollard. We have Boston Scott, who's kind of a nice mix. There's, you know, there's some guys here where, I mean, I guess if you didn't take carry on and you swung for the upside now, there's guys, there's some pass catchers you could take later, but carry on seems like a nice mix where he does still have a little bit of upside beyond being usable. Whereas the guys we would take later to be usable out of the gate, their upside is basically just being usable and nothing more. Yeah. Carry on. I like more than Marlon Mack because, um, and I think Mack's gone, but, but I, they, Mack is there. Oh, he is there. Okay. Yeah. One of the, the things of this draft is that only you can see the board and who's available. So I'm kind of <laughs> like in the dark a little, but, uh, but Mac to me is not in the mix. And it's because I think that even if Swift is as good as he's been promised to be, that he may just steal the passing uh, work completely, but the carry on could still have some of the goal line upside. And with the best ball format, like, when he scores touchdowns, like he'll get slotted into our lineup. We're in a manager league. Obviously, you know, you're just kind of playing roulette with those touchdown weeks. But I think Matt could get completely displaced by Jonathan Taylor by the end of the year to where he's like a backup. Yeah, um, I view them. They seem like they're similar, but I view them very different as well. And the other thing, too, is you've got Hines in the, the Colts backfield. So, yeah, you know, a healthy Jonathan Taylor and a pass catching Hines versus a somewhat injured 
DeAndre Swift and you know, I guess they still have uh, Ty Johnson there. Is that who it is? They have Ty, Ty Johnson, but he stinks. They got this guy Huntley uh, in the fifth round, who is a pass catcher, but he hasn't made too much noise. Uh, they got rid of McKissick, so I think they'll probably just because it's the Lions, they'll probably like mix in someone um, and and won't let Carry On have a huge workload, and and they're a little bit worried about I think preserving his health, so they won't load him up week one. But he could have a hundred percent of all the goal line touches, you know, everything inside the the twenty could be all carry on, and then, uh, you know, he he'll have a much easier time of it getting to, you know, two three receptions in in those games if Swift is unhealthy as well. Yeah, Mac might be you know eight carries between the twenties and no receptions, you know, out of the exactly. game. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so I think we feel good about carry on here, and then we'll have to figure out. Well, it'll be easy if Pollard comes back to us. We take Pollard because he's those are two are such a nice combo. You get the the early season touches and then potentially this late season breakout with Pollard. Yeah, I would love it if we got these two. I I think we timed wide receiver really well. Like I said, given those guys that came after, we haven't really seen too much of a drop off at running back other than you. Know, we did like Gibson and Moss, who the guy who's picking at the one spot took. But for the most part, it wouldn't be too much of a drop off. We were able to go carry on and Pollard here. I did. I was afraid to tell you, uh, I did drop my phone earlier and I clicked on Keyshawn Vaughn and brought up his profile. And <laughs> I was like terrified that I had accidentally drafted him. I did, I did not. I did not. Don't worry. I did not. Oh my God. I am locking in the carry on Johnson Vick right now. Holy shit. You thought right now, like you mean seconds ago, you thought you had drafted Keyshawn? No, it happened uh in between our recordings. We we, we did oh, recordings tonight. <laughs> that would have been awful. Where I was like kind of scrolling and, and the phone slipped. Oh. It brings up their profile with a big draft player on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So your thumb was probably just like so a like, centimeter oh, away. How did I start of this? <laughs> Oh no, that would have been terrible. Well, I'm glad we got carry on instead. That's uh that's a happy ending to that story. All right. I think we can uh we can get to our guest who I believe we tease almost as like it's a surprise in the intro there too, but uh, but it is Peter Jennings. We're <laughs> <laughs> ringing on Peter Jennings of the Action Network to talk to us about three man and six man best ball leagues. As Pat alluded to, we have a very special guest on the podcast today, Daily Fantasy OG. He was involved with Star Street. He's an investor in Underdog. I was there when he won the DraftKings Millionaire Maker in the Bahamas for fantasy baseball, and I got to drink some very expensive champagne at his expense after that. Uh, welcome to the show, Peter Jennings. Mike, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I remember another night where we were drinking together uh, at the Playboy Mansion, so Lots of fun times. Uh, very exciting that uh, football season is almost here. I'm crossing my fingers. It goes smoothly. And, uh, yeah, appreciate all the work that, that you and Pat are doing. And uh, excited to talk a little best ball. Yeah, so we wanted to get you on because we've got, um, you know, this particular flavor of best ball that we're interested in in trying out more. And we've had some of our listeners tell us that they want to try out some of these three-man and six-man best ball leagues, and I feel like probably no one's drafted more of these than you. you you're kind of the, the expert in this space, as in many other spaces, but we need to uh, pick your brain a little bit on the strategies for how to attack these leagues, 
And so uh, I'll just come right out and say we this is the second time we're talking because the first time we interviewed you last week, there was a recording issue. And so we actually Mike and I got the chance to ask you a little bit of the strategy questions. And then since then, I've tried out some of the stuff that you've mentioned. So I feel like any drafts that I've done are actually based on our first conversation. And I wanted to allude to that a little bit as we move forward. But I guess the first thing is when you're looking at these three-man and six-man best balls, I guess let's start with three-man. What are you trying to do with the overall positional allocation? I mean, with the 12-team leagues, you're kind of typically doing like two to three quarterbacks, two to three tight ends. And then depending on when you take your running backs, that'll often dictate how many you take at that position. How are you structuring it when you're doing a, just a three-person league? I think your roster construction is still pretty similar with a three-man, um, two to three quarterbacks, five to six running backs, seven to eight receivers, two to three tight ends. Um, and maybe you get a little funky based on how you draft. But the biggest difference is that you can really take advantage of some of the inefficiencies uh, and, and the ADPs relative to 12-mans and three-mans where – you know, Travis Kelsey or, you know, an elite tight end uh, probably deserves to go a lot earlier in a three-man versus uh, a 12-man league. And, you know, over the years, it's been a little different based on the positions. Like last year, I waited on running backs a ton in uh, in three-mans uh, after, like, McCaffrey and Zeke and Barkley went. Whereas this year, I think you can probably get away with waiting on a receiver a ton and you want to get those top-end running backs earlier. So, uh, really thinking about your positional scarcity, uh, similar roster construction, and then we talked about it a bit and curious to hear your thoughts after doing some of the three mans. I think the biggest edge in, in these formats is just really paying attention to your opponents and uh, recognizing where you can have edges on them, where you're either blocking them or recognizing that they've already taken a lot of one position and you can probably wait on that position a little bit longer or uh, maybe they made a mistake somewhere and you can put them into a corner. So that's uh, – that's the biggest edge that I've seen uh, in these graphs. I feel like that's something I need to even do more. You said that the first time we talked and I took into account some of the advice you gave, but I, I'm so used to pounding out so many slow drafts in the 12 man format where I'm not thinking about my opponents too much. I'm more thinking about optimizing my own roster that I have to make that mind shift a little bit and see if I can disrupt the stack here and there, especially because it'd be such a premium stack and, a three-man or a six-man. I did want to go back to you talking about positional scarcity and someone like Travis Kelsey where the ADP is going to be hugely different. And I cooked up some rankings based off, if you use an auction methodology to do rankings for fantasy football, essentially what you're doing is comparing a player's projection to up to the baseline of you can call it the worst player drafted at that position. And when you do that in a three-man league in particular, the gap between Travis Kelsey and the worst tight end that's going to get drafted is massive relative to the gap between even a, you know, normally a second round running back and the next running back drafted. Or you you said receivers deeper this year. I think that's a better one. Like the gap between Julio Jones and maybe a Will Fuller type who might not even get drafted in a three-man. Like that gap isn't as wide as the gap between Kelsey and the other guys, which is a big shift in the dynamic from a 12-man league to a three-man league. And I know in particular two years ago, 
you crushed it with, I think you might've even had a lot of Gronk, but you had so much Kelsey and Ertz and it was probably before people started to adjust to the three-man ADPs. You had a lot of success taking those tight ends early. And with these ranks, I even have Kelsey Kittle as honestly top five options overall in the three-man format. Do you think that's too early or do you think that's about right? Oh, I think that's definitely right. Uh, and I started the trend of taking like Kelsey first last year. Two years ago, that was a joke. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> had, a, I had a crazy ROI. I mean, the, I won the tournaments too, or I got first in one of the tournaments and second and the other. Uh, so that blew me quite a bit. But even my cash game stuff was close to 100% ROI, which is not even close to sustainable. But I do think uh, there are some really, really big edges a couple of years ago. And there's certainly still edges now. And as the, the format gets more and more popular and more casual people get in, if you're grinding these, I think you'll have, have an edge. Um, you know, tight end premium and the three mans definitely was – uh, taken into account by a couple of the regulars last year, much more so than uh, the first year. But even now, I'm just seeing uh, less people do it. I do think, you know, last year I really felt good about taking Kelsey one. This year, I think it's close, but Christian McCaffrey is just so valuable at running back. And the drop-off with, like, the top, you know, after Zeke, I mean, CMC, Barkley, and Zeke are so valuable. Um just given what we saw from Kamara last year and kind of that, that next tier of running backs that it's a lot closer than it was in the past, but yeah, those tight ends I think are, are really valuable and you want to make sure uh, you get one of them in the first couple rounds because the drop off is severe. And the worst case is that you don't end up with, you know, any of the three or four top tight ends. Cause then, you know, you're really in a, a bad position and you kind of have to wait for those guys. And like we just talked about, I'd much rather be drafting a Calvin Ridley type or even uh, Will Fuller, um, who, you know, I, he's not going in many three mans, but I actually think that's probably a mistake. I think Will Fuller is like kind of the perfect distribution type receiver that you want for like your seventh receiver on a three man roster. You mentioned denying your opponents is a big thing in three man rosters. Is that, does that factor into your tight end strategy too? I mean, is it too much to take both Kittle and Kelsey? or to try and get one of those guys in Andrews. Um, because like you say, the the guy who can't get one of those guys is in really rough shape. So is it helpful for you to actually create that problem for someone else? Yeah, that was my whole strategy for the last couple of years. And that I still do it this year. I haven't drafted as many, but that's exactly what you want to do. You want to take, because if you can grab both, then, and that, that's where the draft starts out perfect is if you do get, you know, a top end running back, Kelsey and Kittle, and people are kind of asleep at the wheel because then they're, you know, uh, in a bad spot. And often what happens, especially if you're drafting with more casual fans or casual players, is they'll see a couple of the premium tight ends come off the board and then they'll immediately reach just being like, oh no, I just lost my chance to get this tight end. So uh, you want people to be, you know, reacting to you and uh, you want to be predicting what other people are going to be doing when you're drafting. So, Love that move. And the same thing, you know, towards the end, if you have, you know, I think there's a pretty clear drop-off uh, at running back and some of these tiers with the receiver. And if you know that there's only one guy left at that spot, like grabbing him is important. And I've seen the, the same thing kind of happen this year, which I think is another interesting dynamic at quarterback. And we have a clear top two quarterback. So uh, I don't mind going Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and a three-man if you can go twice in a row, like, pretty early because uh, you're just locking in uh, a big difference in a quarterback. And especially when you get Mahomes and Jackson together, I feel like 
the distributions of those two uh, together is a, a big leg up as well. Yeah, just as an example of what Peter's talking about, the first three man I did, I really tried to push up the onesie position. So I took McCaffrey first overall, just because the adjet running back's huge. But I was still able to get Kittle, Lamar, Mahomes, and Mark Andrews, and really just absolutely pound those onesie positions because the depth, especially in three man at running back and especially at wide receiver is so deep and that you're going to get quality players there no matter what. And hopefully you hit right on their distributions. When you look at six mans to bring it back again to you saying wide receiver is deep. I did notice at running back at a certain point, you start taking guys in six mans that you can just tell the quality of player drops off, you know, Pat's probably going to yell at me here, but like a Ronald Jones type uh, <laughs> versus, but if you, if you look at the wide receiver side of things, like a similar wide receiver positionally, you're getting in a six man might be, you know, a Tyler Lockett type or a Terry McLaurin type. And it does impress upon you that you want to take the running backs a little bit earlier than the wide receivers and not only the quality of player, but when you're looking at distributions, the correlation to weekly scoring is higher. The correlation of ADPs to weekly scoring is higher for running backs than receivers. So we're going to get more spiked weeks, higher guys matching the ceiling of the elite guys at wide receiver that you're taking in the mid tier. That's going to happen more often. Whereas some of the running backs taken in the mid tier, they just won't see the volume to match the ceiling of a Christian McCaffrey or even an Alvin Kamara on a weekly basis. Yeah, exactly. And with the sick bands, it does get a lot different. I do think this year you have uh, a different setup than we've had in the past. Um, running back has just gotten more and more timeshare. There's been more and more timeshares. There's less certainty with the majority of guys. And last year I felt really good about a, a lot of running backs um, where I, I don't feel the same way this year. Um, and I think there's a ton of depth at receiver. And the beautiful thing, if you're grinding all these, is that you're going to have a vastly different strategy in three-mans and then six-mans and then 12-mans. And if you're drafting optimally and really grinding and mitigating mistakes, uh, it's going to lead to a more diversified portfolio, which is kind of the allure of this to me. I mean, uh, you know, we didn't have all the other sports going on. It's obviously a weird year here in 2020, but I love the summers where I was just grinding DFS golf, doing best balls, and then kind of recharging for the fall. And, um, yeah, the, the most alluring thing to me is that uh, if you do a ton of these leagues through the tournaments, three-man, six-man, 12-man, 10-man even in the past, like you're going to have a diversified portfolio that's, you know, you can get a lot of volume down that doesn't have a ton of variance. Um, and another position is quarterback where, uh, you know, I really value Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and three-mans and uh, certainly like them in six-mans, probably would take, wouldn't reach for them as often as I would in the three-mans. And then in 12-mans, um, I'm a pretty big believer in, waiting on quarterback. Um, it was a lot easier last year when I was really high on like Kyler and some of the other kind of mid to late tier guys. But I think you value certain positions more uh, based on the size of the draft. And in three mans, uh, what I'm seeing this year the most is that quarterback and tight end get a, a nice bump, specifically Lamar and Mahomes, and then those premium tight ends. Uh, and running backs matter more than they have in other years in terms of like the drop off. And I know there's a lot of zero running back chatter out there, which I don't mind at all in 12 mans, but in the three and six mans, I think uh, it's pretty foolish to, you know, have a, you know, 
grouping of just like less surefire things running back. Cause even at running back in three man's like, if you're drafting running backs last, like you're getting more questionable guys. Whereas if you just load up on them, I mean, I've done drafts where my last eight picks are receivers in three man's. So I don't know. I rambled there, but I think the positional stuff's really interesting based on the, the league size. No, for sure. Where are you at on the the mid tier of quarterbacks in three mans and, and six mans like Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, like those dudes? Are you reaching at all? I'm sure you're reaching compared to twelve teams, but but how big of a priority are they? So those guys, I think, are really interesting in the three mans this year. And uh, I do think stacking has gotten overblown. And I even saw stuff on Twitter today, people blaming me for some of the stacking stuff that I did early on. But in the three mans, I think there's a lot of value. And, that's kind of where I'll decide to take those. Like if I get Amari, uh, I'll definitely take Dak and I might reach for maybe, you know, there's a better receiver than Gallup at the end. Um, and I'll, I'll still take Gallup if I have Dak and Amari uh, just for those spiked weeks. And the same thing with Russell Wilson and Lockett and Metcalf. And then, yeah, some of my favorite stacks are Kyler, Drake, you know, Hopkins. Like I really value getting those quarterbacks stacked. And then you mentioned Lamar. And Andrews, like, that's such a good combo. I mean, if you can get Andrews, I think getting Lamar with him is extremely valuable. And I will draft those guys a little earlier than I normally would to get them together just because that stack is so good for your distributions in three-mans where you're going to have big weeks every week. It's just a matter of having those, like, grand slam weeks more often than your opponents. Yeah, and then even Marquise Brown is a guy that you might take ahead of a more surefire full PPR sure. receiver for sure. Yeah. Talking about those wide distributions on a Marquise guy. Brown's another guy. You don't mind when he goes, you know, one for 10 uh, in a three man. Cause you have so many guys that are just getting huge volume. But if he does have that, you know, similar distributions last year where he goes off for two touchdowns and 200 yards, like that's the type of week that can win you the whole season. I mean, you just really, and that's why I think Will Fuller, uh, who I, I, I see not getting drafted very often, and I've done some three-mans, and I'm actually taking him, especially when I grab Watson. I love taking Will Fuller as one of the last receivers or the last receiver because, yeah, he's had injury issues, and you know sometimes he puts up stinkers, but I feel like his upside week to week is like right there with pretty much any receiver on the board. I mean, Will Fuller, as we saw last year, can go for three touchdowns over 200 yards any week. Yeah, so the capturing that upside is is obviously super key um, in the three mans because everyone's lineup is going to be pretty stacked. So you need to make sure that your guys actually get into your starting lineup, you know, with huge scores. So stacking is one way to do that. Who are some other players that you're targeting or just moving way down your board when you get into three mans when you're bumping up the importance of that ceiling versus the floor? Yeah. So I think you know. Um, there's a lot of guys that that are really valuable that are just super consistent week to week. You know, Michael Thomas is obviously the top receiver uh, and he had some really big games last week, but he had a ton of like eight to 10 catches, hundred yards, maybe a touchdown. And that's so valuable when you're getting that week to week in a 12 man. But um, you know, the Will Fuller example, like if you just, if you simulate out their seasons, obviously it's way different ADPs. Like you prefer that type of uh, outcome more often relative to their, their ADPs. Um, so yeah, there's not a ton of guys that I'm like, Oh, I'm staying away from just because there's all the studs at the top and it's just all relative value. But, uh, I guess I, I'm reaching for the tight ends more often. So, and this year, um, even though I loved Michael Thomas last year, I think he was one of my highest owned receivers in the three mans. I'll probably have less of guys like him 
and maybe some of these other tight ends. I mean, it just it depends on kind of where guys fall. Or not tight ends, but uh, some of these other receivers uh, I won't have as often. I, I really don't want to have a lot of these, you know, secondary tight ends. I mean, I, I want to make sure I'm getting two or three of uh, Kelsey, Kittle, um, Andrews. I don't mind Waller that much. I, I still think Ertz is probably pretty good, but I want two of those five guys pretty much every time. So do you think, I mean, you mentioned two years ago, the ADPs in three mans were really soft and you were able to crush people with this elite tight end strategy. It seems like people are adjusting to that in the three man format, but maybe not so much in the six man format. I guess, have you found that to be true? And is your six team strategy, is that closer to your three team strategy or your 12 team strategy? Oh, six man is definitely much closer to three mans. And uh, I think the six mans are, are still a little bit softer. People are definitely getting better. Um, but yeah, you, you'll notice quickly when you're drafting with someone who's, uh, you know, a more casual fan or someone who hasn't done as many drafts. So there's certainly still some really big edges. And yeah, it was six mans. Um, the only thing that's, I guess, a little more or a little closer to 12 mans and three mans, although I, I kind of have the same strategy as six mans. I'm drafting running backs early. Like I'm, I think it's really smart to get. I mean, I want, I want one of the premium tight ends, and then I want to make sure I have good running backs. And a lot of six mans, I think it's pretty optimal to get like five running back studs, ideally who don't have any same bye weeks, and then make sure you get eight receivers, uh, and you can draft almost all those receivers at the end. Yeah, I wrote the uh, an article for Underdogs best ball mania tournament about the hyper fragile running back strategy, which is basically you'll get three or four workhorses out of the gate. Uh, probably stick with only three if you're taking them right away. And the idea there is if they stay healthy, you know, you're going to use just their weeks anyways. You don't really need any other running backs. And then you can take advantage of the spiked weeks and the more variance at the wide receiver position by taking just a ton of those and making up what you lack in quality and quantity in six mans. I found that somewhat to be true too. Now you don't want to only take three in a six man. There's no reason to go that risky, but I took, you know, this one team that I have, for example, I ended up with Zeke, Miles Sanders, James Connor, Chris Carson. And I tried to hit those early because then you start to see running backs. Like I mentioned, you know, Ronald Jones, James White, Matt Breda, these guys that just don't have these ceilings as the other guys going at the time that wide receivers like Christian Kirk, Brandon Cooks, you know, Jalen Rager, Marvin Jones are going that do have these big ceilings. But what I was wondering is, so on a team like that, where I've got those four running backs, I ended up taking Zach Moss late to get a fifth running back because I felt you know, I needed at least five in this format. Do you think that's the right play is to get a fifth guy that feels out of place ceiling wise in such a shallow league where there's so many studs on teams, you know, should I have just tacked on another receiver or do you think that makes sense for a little bit of safety? Oh, I for sure would take five running backs. I, I'll never have a team that's just four. I think you have to, uh, with just, especially this year. I mean, one element that I'm, I'd love to get your guys' opinion on that's not specific to like the three and six mans, but I feel like you need more roster safety than ever with just the uncertainty of COVID and everything else. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I, I think in general, it's less prevalent with, you know, the three mans. Uh, and obviously there's so much injury luck, but like taking zeros in best ball is just a surefire way to lose. And like guaranteeing you don't have a zero is so big. And that's where I felt like there's so much edge in some of these three and six mans. Like I love trapping guys into taking like, you know, you'll see guys have two quarterbacks for the same bye week. I mean, that in a three-man is just 
is just death. Like you just can't be giving up that much EV. And same thing with tight end. Um, so, and, mean, and I, sorry, do you mean there are only two quarterbacks, or to, even if I, you have three quarterbacks, the having two is mistake, but I've seen that, and that's where I love to track people into that with tight end too. Or it's a little different week year to year depending on position and, and where the bye weeks fall. But uh, last year in particular, there was a ton of week nine QBs that all kind of went around the same range, and I'd see people take two of those, and then they have to reach for a third quarterback maybe that they didn't want to get or. Just paying attention to that stuff is, is really big. And, um, Mike, in your shoes, I for sure would have taken a, a fifth running back. And I, I don't mind your strategy of waiting for that. Like, you got four studs. I don't mind waiting for the fifth one. I just – the worst case for me in those six mans is, like, trying to put together a five to six running back crew if you didn't get one of the top 15 to 20 guys. Like, mm-hmm. it's pretty ugly pretty fast. You're taking a lot of questionable players that – have some pretty low floors and um in six mans i think you have to be a little more cognizant of four than you do in the three mans yeah that kind of happened to me in a six man where i had um i was at the back end and so i i went with kittle and thomas but then you you're kind of out on you know that that premium running back pick so i ended up uh with just three kind of high end ish running backs sanders mixon and connor and then it got to that like my, um, Melvin Gordon, uh, David Johnson, Todd Gurley range. Hate me that. too. Yeah. yeah, so I just skipped that whole range and took a bunch of receivers and um, got like Dak and stuff. And then uh, I came back for Mostert and Moss to, to get up to five, kind of like Mike did. But the Mostert pick is definitely hurts given, you know, how strong everyone else is going to be at running back. So I that's kind of the, the, the range – um, of where you want to be done with running back is what I wanted to dial in on a little bit more. Is it, is it after Connor? Is it after Jonathan Taylor? Like, where are you saying this is kind of where I want to be? This is where I want to have five running backs by. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, you're talking about six man, six man. Yeah. I mean, ideally, I mean, I think you'll end up going a little farther than that. Um, especially at the end, but yeah, I, yeah, that, that Taylor range I think is a pretty good spot to target. At least having at least four guys from, and a, and a good way to think about it is the more of these you do, and you're just you're going through these drafts. Like, think about who you want to be taking in those certain ranges. I mean, Pat, you just explained it perfectly in the way that I I think about. It. It's like, okay, I know all these running backs, the Melvin Gordons of the world, David Johnson's going to be there. Then there's all these receivers that I love taking, uh, or there's some quarterbacks that I don't mind taking. So when you, you're you're projecting out the draft in a three or six man or whatever, like you know the ranges and where you're going to be. Like you want to set yourself up so you're taking the positions that you want to be taking there. So for me, it's like okay, early I want to make sure I get one or two tight ends. Then I just want to make sure I get a ton of running backs. And then I don't mind, especially in six mans. I mean, there's tons of quarterbacks I I feel good about. If I draft quarterbacks really late, I'll take three guys that I think complement each other well. Uh, I certainly don't mind taking receivers late. I think there's a ton of high ceiling guys that are that are going. You know, uh, I mean, when you're near a six person draft, 108 guys are getting drafted. So you just look through kind of the ADPs and, and where players are going to be. I feel very good about that. I do not feel good about drafting running backs in that mid tier. So you can kind of figure out, uh, and after you do a lot of these, like, okay, this is the range that people go in, and I want to make sure I have X amount of players at this position. Uh, so I'm not drafting in this dead range where I don't want players from. Yeah. So it really feels like 
from the transition from three man to six mans that quarterbacks up top lose the most value and running backs probably gain the most value. Do you think that's accurate? I do. Cause I love Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. There's, I mean, obviously they're in a, a tier by themselves, but to me that tier and the three mans is worth so much more because the running back depth that you're going to get, you're, you're getting all studs. Like the last guy you're going to draft is like Congress, right? Like it just, that's for me anyways. Um, so, you know, the running back differential, you're not having to dip into any of those more questionable guys. So the, the, the high end quarterbacks have a more value and in the 12 bands, I'm definitely waiting on quarterback almost always. And in the six mans, I'm much more willing to wait. I, I don't mind grabbing a, a Dak or Kyler or Russ if they, if they fall really far and it, it stacks up well with my team, but I don't mind even waiting past that. Like I don't, I love Matthew Stafford. I, you know, I don't feel bad about Matt Ryan. Um, yeah, there's a ton. Of, I mean, we can go through the list. Like, I don't mind waiting quarterback at all in the six mans. Right. There's 18 quarterbacks getting taken probably if everybody takes three. Exactly. And yeah. I so, feel good about those guys that are in the 12 through 18 range. Like, especially if I can take three of them and I, I can match them up with my team. Right. You know, you're going to take three. Whereas in a 12 man, sometimes you need that roster spot elsewhere because you're not getting the security early on the skill players that you are in a six man. So that, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I think that's just the name of the game. And, and that's, again, it comes back to what I think is so fun about this and so fun to grind. And if you really work hard and, you know, you're doing a lot of these, it's just you end up having a great portfolio because you end up being long certain guys and, and, and you know, uh, the three-mans, maybe you're short those players like a Lamar and Mahomes and the six-mans and you don't have much of them in the 12-mans. And it can kind of balance out where you build that portfolio of players that you really want. And, um, that should smooth out the variance for your results. I want to get a little bit more. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say it's so dynamic in best ball. Like, I think people who don't play best ball think of it more as a crapshoot. You know, why would you play fantasy football that way? But the truth is, the strategy is even more dynamic. You know, each pick really changes the construction of your team and what you're doing. And I think that is even more true in best ball than it is in managed leagues. So I just want to point that out. But, uh, uh, well, yeah, Pat, what did you have? Yeah, I just wanted to get more into the strategies for disrupting your opponents. Um, just to get a little bit more of your thoughts there. Uh, so I guess with disrupting stacks, like how you're trying to get your own stacks in place, but then you're keeping an eye on your opponents to see, you know, that they might have this, you know, a quarterback that they've already taken two pieces from and and you're going to steal that. Like, how are you waiting trying to get your own stacks versus screwing up your opponents? And is that more important to you in three man or, or six man or kind of equal? They're both important, but like the three mans, I think like a Kansas City onslaught is like an ideal stack. Like I have quite a few, you know, Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, uh, Kelsey, uh, and then you know you're getting, you know, I, I mean, before it's easy to get Clyde Edwards, Hilaire uh, too, and now he's moved up, so it's a little trickier. Um, and when I do get those guys, I might even consider like a Sammy Watkins, uh, which would be a huge reach in a three man, but I, I would I wouldn't hate it just to have like that full. Chiefs onslaught. Uh, and if I see someone starting to build a Chiefs onslaught and I'm a three-man, I do not want that. I mean, we know how good Mahomes is, and especially with how many touchdowns he can throw in a week, uh, those spiked weeks from that that Chiefs combo is, is devastating. I mentioned Lamar Jackson and uh, Andrews. That's a, a stack I do not want to be competing against. I want those for myself, and uh, I try to disrupt those. Um, 
it's a little trickier to disrupt the Kyler to Hopkins or, you know, the, the Seattle stacks or the Dallas stacks, but I, I pay attention to it. And if it's close, then I'll, I'll, I'll certainly try to disrupt it. And um, yeah, I, I definitely want to be taking advantage of those myself. I mean, I think that's the, the key move. Um, you don't want to be reaching, you know, too far to do it, but it definitely makes sense. And then, you know, you have the Deshaun Watson fuller stack that I like quite a bit and, I'm pretty high on like Josh Allen to, to Diggs, and you know I might draft Brown and, and a stack like that if I, if I do it very late. And of course, uh, probably the last stack that you're aware of in the three mans would be like a Matt Ryan, Julio, Ridley stack, um, which you know Matt Ryan is probably the last quarterback to go, so that's harder to disrupt. But um, you know you're paying attention to it a little bit. Would you take a naked Matt Ryan to disrupt a stack? Probably not. I don't think it's – I mean, the really big ones that I'm worried – the Kansas City one is by far the biggest just because Mahomes has such a huge ceiling. And, like, if another offense – like, I'm just scared of those games where another offense is putting up points on the Chiefs because we know Mahomes can throw six, seven touchdowns in a game if he has to. Um, and Lamar obviously has a huge ceiling too and maybe he throws three touchdowns to Andrews, you know, a game this year. But – those are the, the two that I'm most worried about. And I, I do think the other one that has a sneaky amount of upside that I'm trying to get a lot myself, uh, it's a little harder to stop because, um, you know, Gallup's not really going in the three-mans. But I think the Cowboys have some serious upside. So, you know, Dak, Zeke, Amari, like, that's something I'm paying attention to as well. I'm all in on the Cowboys this year. Yeah, it, should, it should easily be the best offense. I'd, I'd be surprised, honestly, if they weren't a top two, three offense. The the NFC Chiefs this year for sure. I pretty much all formats. Dak is the quarterback I'm most willing to reach on, but that's yeah. a little bit of a tangent. Um, We're on the same but, page. I, I, love, <laughs> I love the Cowboys, and my, almost all my three men have Dak and Amari. And of course, before we did this, uh, Ashley was trolling me on Twitter with uh, some Amari uh, stuff. But I, I mean, I, I think that that's a, a great team to target this year and if you want to get a lot of exposure to them the three mans are a great way to do it same with the six mans yeah the six mans are nice because you can get because lamb starts to get into the mix at that point oh and he's for sure worth it you have Dak, like that's another perfect example and i think people sometimes they get they get too extreme trying to stack or they'll take guys like three rounds early just like you can wait on some of these things and like, you don't have to force like getting everyone, but you like a perfect example, like maybe you don't get Amari and, and Gallup, but you get Lamb and you have Dak. Like, and that's a pick that I'd be willing to go around early on or whatever. Yeah. I'm big into stacking. I wrote an article about it for establish the run earlier this off season. But what I'm trying to keep in mind is just being flexible. You know, there's a lot of guys I know I can stack. There's some backdoor stacks I know I can make. And if you're keeping in mind, you know, if you give yourself optionality, then you don't have to reach for the stack because you're obviously offsetting the reward aspect of getting the stack. If you're paying too much of a premium on it, you know, you kind of defeat the entire purpose of the stack. If you're going to pay a two round premium, especially in a 12 team league. I mean, when you start getting into the double digit rounds, it's different because the hit rates on guys are so low that maybe you don't mind jumping one or two rounds. But when you're in those single digit rounds, those picks are super important, super high equity picks that you don't want to go too crazy with it for sure. Yeah, that's well said. And you, you said probably said my favorite word word in the world, and that's optionality. <laughs> Maximize optionality in all aspects of life. That's something I I knew before, and <laughs> it keeps getting grilled into me in every aspect of my life. So 
uh, in best ball, it certainly pays dividends to maximize your optionality. One of the things you mentioned about um, strategies for disrupting your opponents is seeing if you can force your opponent to go with a quarterback with the same bye week. Um, so you're kind of snagging that quarterback that has the different bye week. How big of a part of your strategy is that? Is that something where you are kind of using it as a tiebreaker where you were looking at those two quarterbacks anyway, or is it more important than that? So in three mans, it actually plays out more so than it has a quarterback this year, just because there's three bye weeks that can, can get people into trouble. Specifically week eight. So you got Lamar, Kyler, and then Deshaun Watson all week eight. So that can happen. And then week 10 uh, also can happen with Mahomes, Dak, and Matt Ryan. Um, so that's that's interesting to me. Um, I was thinking week six too, but that doesn't really apply as much in three men's. It's more of a 12-man thing. But yeah, those are really interesting. Um, and, and it won't happen as often, but like, let's say, you know, a guy wants to take, uh, you know, I might retake, if a guy has Mahomes and Dak early, and it's Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, and Wentz. I might take Josh Allen just a little bit ahead, just to force him to take, you know, Carson Wentz instead of uh, Matt Ryan. Because, and you're also hoping because I will, I do see this. Like it's a dream scenario if that person takes Matt Ryan as their third quarterback. They don't necessarily need one, but if they do the three week ten guys, that's great. Or what will happen sometimes is you know a guy will go Lamar and then Kyler Murray, and then not realize that they need another quarterback. So. That's just something to pay attention to. It's a little harder to like force people into it, but um, unfortunately it doesn't apply at tight end as much this year. I mean, you have Kittle and Ingram together. Um, you have Kelsey and, and Hayden Hurst together, but I mean, Hayden Hurst isn't going in, uh, in the, uh, the three man. So, but it's something to just really pay attention to. And I, I've seen people make a lot of mistakes with their bye weeks uh, over the years and, um, especially in the three mans, it's just another little thing to pay attention to. So we've hit on three mans and six mans quite a bit, but as you noted in the intro, you had success winning one of the bigger tournaments two years ago in best ball. Do you have any specific strategies, you know, or I guess just any advice for people playing the underdog best ball mania in tournaments like that? So I, I thought an underrated thing last year was uh, stacking up the games for the tournaments, especially with the top heavy prizes. I still think that there's something there that's become prevalent in DFS. Uh, the game stacks has become bigger and bigger. Um, obviously it's tough. You have to get there to win, but especially when it's really top heavy, like the million diverse prize pools, like I'm willing to, to, to take, take on that, that risk. Um, yeah. And I think the other, the thing now is like maybe zig when others are zagging so much. I mean, stacking's gotten so, so big and people are reaching so much. Uh, I still think it's important, but, uh, I think that kind of the way people are attacking these things now, and one of the worst things is if you know you're drafting into people who know who you are and know some of your tendencies and try to disrupt your stacks. Like, just draft a lot of the best players. Like, it sounds so simple, but I feel like people are getting farther and farther away from that. And I used to prioritize like upside and stacking so much because I thought people weren't doing it. Now it feels like it swung really hard the other way, uh, and I still want to take advantage of it when I can, but. Like you said, Mike, I want to maximize optionality. And I also think there's probably some value in just like drafting the best players, um, which you're always doing to a degree. But I feel like it's swung hard. I'd be curious to hear your guys' opinion. Do you think right now people are prioritizing stacks too much? I mean, some of the things I've done, I've seen people taking like guys they want to stack with like three or four rounds early, which to me, that seems like a big mistake. 
I think there are people. Yeah. I mean, kind of like I said, when you're in those single digit rounds, you can't be taking guys two rounds early. I mean, maybe a round early, half round early. When you get in the double digit rounds, the hit rates are low. I don't mind it as much. Right. Right. For me, the, the hard part for me is if I see, let's say I see Tom Brady, who I'm, I'm really high on. And this happened to me a couple of times with Brady specifically. It seems like his range of outcomes in terms of where he gets drafted is pretty wide, but he was there in round 13 in an underdog draft and I didn't have any bucks. And I thought Brady was by far the best quarterback on the board and I needed a quarterback. That's where I don't know what to do. You know, do, do I take Brady? I mean, I guess I can take Brady, OJ Howard, Scotty Miller. Do Scotty I need Miller. Yeah, get, get your OJ Howard shares. That guy cost me a house last year. <laughs> so, like, what would you do there? Would you take Tom Brady there if he's clearly yeah, the best? I think I would take Tom Brady there. I mean, and also, like, I don't mind. Like, you don't have to. Step, your whole team doesn't have to correlate. Like, you can. Right. You can ideally you take Tom Brady there, and then you build some other stacks, right? Like, that's that's kind of what I envision. Although Tom Brady is like the example where. I feel so much better about stacking him because, like, how many rushing touchdowns is he going to get? Maybe, maybe he gets a couple quarterback sneaks at the six-inch line this year. I don't know. I will say one thing: where I feel like people do this the exact wrong way or think about this in the wrong way, but the correlation, in my opinion, matters more in smaller fields because you don't have to have a perfect team, right? So, if I'm, for example, Pat and I are in this one K best ball league where if you make it out of the 12-team league, it, you're facing – it's four team tournaments, right, instead of 20-man tournaments, which some of the other best ball tournaments are once you make it to the playoff weeks, 14, 15, and 16. If I'm in a four-man tournament and I have a Dallas stack and they do well, maybe not super amazing, but if they do well and I'm double stacked, I have a huge edge on the other three teams. You know, I don't need to hit the nuts at – my three wide receiver spots. If I'm competing against 20 other teams, I might have to hit the nuts at my three wide receiver spots. And you, you know, stacking increases the chances of multiple players from the same team hitting, you know, a 75th percentile outcome, or especially if it's when you're getting to multiple receivers, maybe a quarterback and receiver, they're going to, they're 99th percentile outcomes are lined up together, but you know, CD lamb and Michael Gallup probably aren't both hitting their 99th percentile outcomes together. They might be more likely to hit their 75th percentile outcomes together because the offense is rolling. So I feel like people kind of mistake that when they say, Oh, you have to stack, you have to get this correlation and, and you know, because it's a big field tournament. Well, in a big field tournament, you might have to have the top scoring three wide receivers and they're probably not going to be on this same team and the exact same stack. So I don't know. Do you agree with yeah. that or how do you see it? Um, I think that's a really, that's interesting. I have to think about it a lot more. I mean, it just shows like you think about it off the, you know, off the top and the correlation just helps everywhere. Um, but yeah, it probably more so like, it's probably more likely in like the millionaire makers or whatever that you just want like a one, like a Dak and Amari. Cause you know, Dak's the number one and Amari's the number one. Like, how often is Gallup and you know, the, the lamb, the number two, number three, whereas in a smaller field, you know, Dak has that huge five touchdown game and most of it's to Amari, but then Gallup goes for like 90 yards and a touchdown too. Like that's still great relative to where you need to hit like the, the stone nuts. So I see what you're saying. Um, I guess the argument against that would be, you know, 
those weeks, and it comes down to kind of the quarterback, like Mahomes, when he does go absolutely nuts, like a lot of times it's Kelsey and Watkins or Tyreek and whatever. Like it can be both. So I don't know. It depends on the quarterback. It depends on the situation. And uh, it does show the value of, of stacking across the board. But that kind of goes back to what you said about uh, Brady. Like I definitely take Brady there if you think he's the best guy. And then could draft O.J. Howard and maybe they have an injury and maybe O.J. Howard, you know, does what he couldn't do last year and really figures it out and he's awesome and like you win the tournament that way because you have you know Brady to, to OJ Howard for three touchdowns of the championship week like that makes sense to me. Yeah, you mentioned earlier um, in something like the Best Ball Mania trying to game stack those um, those single elimination weeks. Are there are you getting like into the weeds to the point where you're targeting like specific groups of games like are you looking at like indoor games good weather games like does that factor in when you're trying to take something down as big as best ball mania so last year and i need to do more research on this now but i was all over like the houston tampa bay game and uh i really thought that that was i mean i was on those guys just in general so it like made it easier to, to target them um but yeah, I think that you should. And I think you you shouldn't really look at the games outside of the championship week. And it should only be – you should be focused on that week where you can win a million dollars or the top prize in whatever tournament you're playing. Um, and those okay. weeks – that's, to me, it's it's probably fancy play syndrome to a degree already. But I think it's more justified if you're, if you're setting up teams to win that million-dollar prize. Or, especially when it's a tournament that pays out, you know, a high percentage of the overall prize pool at first. What's hard for me to wrap my head around with the big field tournaments is you make it out of your league and then you have to win three straight tournaments that start from zero. And that seems like such a tough task that I almost feel like people tend to overthink the strategy that they need to win the playoff weeks and the tournament weeks when really the edge in these is making as many teams through at a much higher clip than other people. I like just getting them in there. You know, what do you, it seems like you do think there's a decent edge in building teams correctly for the playoff week specifically. Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I think the, I think overall you should be thinking, how can I minimize zeros? How can I have a high ceiling, but also a high floor? Um, there's, just, yeah, the best way to get through is to have a bunch of different teams and the right combos and being really bullish on the guys and end up being the best players. Like, that's, you know, the year that I won, I mean, I got, I had Kelsey and Ertz everywhere and a bunch of guys that I just kind of stumbled into the nuts across the board. I mean, I had a huge portfolio. I had uh, a bunch of tournament teams. I think I had like two of the 12 and the, the high stakes one that got second in and then like a bunch of teams in the, the final round. Uh, and then last year I got like 20 some percent of the teams through, which was uh, much higher than, than average. And then I lost them all uh, in the first week, which a lot of people lost them all. Cause there was a weird scoring. Uh, like I, the, the teams that, that I had specific types of teams that all got through and that just bricked hard in the playoffs. So I do think you end up with correlated teams and that's probably the best way to, to give yourself a chance is just having like that core and then like hoping that that core does well in the playoffs um, and specifically with that core where I do think there's a small edge. I don't think it's a big edge is potentially stacking up some of those games in the final week. 
You need you needed Adrian Peterson last year. <laughs> um, just real quick, because you mentioned having Ertz and Kelsey and those on a lot of teams. I, I just last night sent a draft to Pat where I was like, you know, I started with a tight end early, but maybe it was and I think it was Andrews and Ertz was the pair that I ended up getting because their ADPs. You know, I think Andrews is around three tight player, definitely round four. I've seen Andrews last to the end of round four lately. I've seen Ertz last to the five, six turn. Are, are you cool taking those two tight ends early, uh, even though obviously you're pinning down, having used one of them in your flex spot? I am for sure. Um, I do think it's interesting the 12 men's like, I like, I'm really bullish on like Hawkinson, for example. Um, you know, I, I like Goddard a lot last year. Uh, I think there's, I think there are a couple guys in these 12 mans that, that I'm willing to gamble on more so than the three and six mans. Uh, although Hawkinson, I definitely would take from the six mans now. He's, what, are you guys getting, are you guys high on Hawkinson? Yeah, I'm really high on Hawkinson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, but I, to, to your point, I mean, I think tight end is just a neglected position. Uh, but I think it's really important to get high ceiling guys. So I'm totally cool with it. The last thing you want to do from my perspective is draft like the Jack Doyles of the world or I don't even I, I honestly I've done less drafts this year and I've prioritized tens of tight ends so much. Like I don't even know who like I would be taking if I was waiting on tight ends uh, on some of these guys. Like it's uh, I don't know. Tight ends are really, really tricky position. I guess Noah Fant, I don't mind. Um, I still yeah. think God could be good, Herndon could be good, but like I certainly don't want to get down into like the Jack Doyle, Herb Smith, Gerald Everett, OJ Howard burned so much money. I guess I don't hate that, but like, I don't want to be drafting those type of guys. Like I want to be living uh, at the top, you know, ideally with the Kelsey Kittle, Andrews, Ertz, Waller uh, crew uh, as much as I can. And then Hawkinson's really moving up for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't tend to get past Fanton, Herndon. Those are like the last uh, yeah, guys that I do. Fair. Yeah, you just can't uh, match their ceilings. Like you know, you can make up for the ceilings sometimes at wide receiver. Again, with quantity, with stacking and correlation, with tight ends, you know, in weekly managed leagues, it's different. Where you know the opportunity cost and whatnot. You know, maybe you don't need a high end tight end as much, especially if it's just a twelve team league. But if you're trying to win a huge tournament and you need you know close to the nuts construction, you know, like you said, Jack Doyle is just not going to have those spiked weeks. Like he just can't match a Kelsey week. He just physically can't do it. Whereas, you know, you, you could get a Deshaun Jackson. Of course. yard two touchdown game. Like that can happen. An absolute monster this year. You know, like I haven't followed too closely what's going on uh, with like Robbie Anderson, but like we've seen that guy go ham before, you know, like just go, and like a bunch of these guys down at the bottom, like a receiver, like there's huge ceilings to be at. Yeah. Maybe Larry Fitzgerald and this whole, uh, you know, Raiders situation receiver doesn't look good for Renfro. I, I mean, he was their best receiver last year. So I imagine he's still in the field, but that's a guy I'm probably not looking for as much in best ball. Uh, maybe he makes a little more sense in the 12 man, but like, yeah, you go through the list at wide receiver, like the guys that have over 180p and there's some studs like John Brown, 107. John Brown was a, East last year and he has a ton of upside uh week to week i mean he's a burner he can score 60 yard touchdowns like at any point so like to me there's huge ceilings there running back 
I really think it's important to get a lot of, especially this year, a lot of these studs. Um, and then I would wait. I really hate that like dead range, you know, the Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, now David Montgomery's hurt. You know, you have the Lions backfield, which is a mess. I don't feel great about Mark Ingram. Most Derek, I know you drafted Pat. I, I'm not. I, yeah. I don't ever draft him. Yeah. Like, I don't want that many guys there. I mean, some of them have ceilings, but I'd much rather draft the top end guys and then gamble later on on some of these guys, you know, something happening. Like Tony Pollard, someone that I was all over last year. I love Tony Pollard again this year. I know his ADP is starting to move up and up, but like, I'd much rather gamble on that type of player who has a high ceiling but a low floor than like kind of that mid tier, which I think I see a lot of people just load up on a lot of these middling guys. And to me, that's the antithesis of how you want to play best ball. That actually makes me really happy. I'm, I hate drafting those running backs, so if I can play a new format where I can also fade them, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Um, I do want to ask you one last thing. Uh, this kind of goes to a point that Mike made about trying to get to these playoff weeks in the first place. You know, you got to win round one, which is going to be, you know, the first 13 weeks of the season. And it also goes to the point of, like, trying to win the, some of these smaller field best ball tournaments that are at the higher price points. Uh, how important is it, or are you guys using the strategy of stacking quarterback and running back? Because that would be something that might ha- it w- would have a lower ceiling week to week, but it might be the type of thing where you've now invested in, you know, let's say the Cowboys offense or the Cardinals offense, and you're just betting on them to exceed expectations over the course of the season. So that might work just to help get you there in a best ball mania, but then it also might help in like a higher stakes best ball tournament where you're only trying to win these small groupings each week. And so that correlation is there, but it also provides sort of a floor as well. I don't know what, is that something you're doing at all or, or you, do you think that's kind of the wrong type of correlation? Oh no, I think that's the, the, the nut correlation and it works both ways. I think, yeah, when you invest in a whole offense, like you're getting points from them week to week. So that's going to help, you know, uh, you know, your worst case in smaller fields is that they kind of, the scoring is distributed evenly, but normally it's spiked to, to a certain player in a specific type of matchup. So I love that. And then something that I've been high on and that just keeps coming to fruition, and I think this year it could spike even more, is like these running backs are pass catchers and they're all working on it. Uh, if you're a running back in the NFL, like you you recognize that uh, the guys getting paid or guys who can catch the football, if you want to have a longer career, you're also you know pass catching back and – you know, Derrick Henry, everyone's talking about Derrick Henry becoming a better receiver now. Like, I don't, I'm not sure I'm buying it, but like every one of these running backs is thinking, how can I also be a receiver? And you start going through the list. Chris McCaffrey, unbelievable receiver. I think Saquon has the potential to turn into someone who can catch. I mean, obviously he catches balls, but like how great would it be if we saw Saquon run like more fly routes and like, I mean, yeah, you just start going to Kamara as a great receiver. Uh, everyone is bullish on CEH being a good receiver. Uh, Miles Sanders definitely has that potential. We saw Josh Jacobs get better at it. Kenyon Drake and Kyler, like just going down the list, like there's certain guys, yeah, they're probably not going to catch a ton of balls. Um, You know, your Carsons of the world, um, Derrick Henry, I'm still not optimistic, is going to catch a ton of balls. But like for the most part, most of these guys catch passes and like there's going to be more and more you know, running back touchdown passes. So I think it's a really smart thing to do, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Well, we have a a draft where we kind of lucked into Saquon 
um, at the third pick, Zeke went too. So it kind of has me thinking we might want to prioritize getting Daniel Jones uh, with our second quarterback. Um, what do you think, Mike? I, like I meant to say uh, wheel route, not fly route. Sorry. Yeah, I think that makes sense where we've already got a premium stack with Kyler, Kirk, and DeAndre Hopkins. And now if we could take a second stack, that sort of, you know, we have a little bit more of a built-in floor because Daniel Jones is going to have some big weeks because he can rush the football and they're just going to, th- I think, throw a lot and hopefully all those guys are healthy. And yeah, I think that makes sense where you get a little bit of a floor because it's going to be distributed who scores the touchdowns a little bit differently. But there's also some upside correlation where Daniel Jones, if they're behind and throwing a lot, there could be a lot of dump downs to Saquon and Saquon can have a couple of receiving touchdowns. So I think it's fine. I, I feel like I, I don't know if I'm going out of my way for that, but I do sort of see the merit of you want to even out, you know, some of your roster. We've already got a lot of upside built in. We can even it out by taking a quarterback running back on the same team where we think they both have decent ceilings. Maybe they're not super correlated together though. Again, the three mans, I love getting like Kyler and Kenyon Drake together. I think those two are a perfect complement. I think Kenyon Drake is like the epitome of like, for that team, like the floor and ceiling. I mean, he was awesome last year. I mean, he caught a ton of balls. Like, and I, I feel like he could just go ham catching passes uh, this year. And it's just great playing. I mean, Kyler can buy time and he could be, you know, it could be a play where he's not supposed to be in the passing game. Kyler scrambles around and then he gets open. Like, I love situations like that. So there's certain running backs I think obviously have more value. Uh, in terms of upside with correlation with the quarterback, but uh, that built-in floor is really nice with a lot of these guys too. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, everyone make sure to follow Peter on Twitter at CSU Ram 88. Uh, check out the action network. Maybe uh, you can play against him in a, a best ball draft. If you're over on underdog, uh, if you're, if you're grinding these three mans and six mans, who knows? Um, Peter, thanks so much, man. Yeah, Pat, Mike, this was uh, a blast, and uh, I learned a lot talking with you guys. And uh, again, stoked that you guys are promoting the best ball industry. I think it's, uh, you know, I love DFS, but best ball is quickly becoming my favorite format. So uh, it's fun to see the industry grow.